Hello, welcome to Motherhood Out Loud, a safe place for mothers to talk openly about their experiences without fear of judgment or shame. Our hope is for women to realize that we're not alone in the variety of emotions we feel and that we're able to provide a more loving community for future moms. Let's take take our our power back and and live motherhood out loud. With Carla and Cindy. Hi guys, thank you for listening again to Motherhood Out Loud. We have a very special guest with us today, Annie Kuntz. She's a local home birth midwife and we're very excited to have her on with us. Hi Annie, how are you? Hi, I'm doing well, thank you. How are you guys? Good. We're good, we're good. We're so excited to talk to you today. Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, so my name's Annie. Um I am originally from right outside of Boston, Massachusetts, but I um, moved here to El Paso oh, about 20 years ago, the first time to start my midwifery training and um, kind of been back and forth ever since, but we moved back, my family and I permanently about 12 years ago now. I'm married, I've been married 19 years next month, and I have four kids, their ages... Um, 17, 14, uh, 10, and then my youngest turns eight in March. Um, let's see, I'm, I am a midwife. I've been licensed for about 15 years, trained for about five to six years before that. I love to read. I love singing. I usually sing with the El Paso Corral, but we're kind of on a hiatus with this lovely pandemic. And yeah, that's a that's so little, cool. I didn't know you. Know. I mean, I know about you. That's what I was telling you. I know like so much about you, but from other people, I've never uh-huh. spoken to you or met you. So I'm so excited to to finally hear like about you. So I'm learning everything. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I'm excited. Of course. And I was going to ask you. So, what made you pursue midwifery? Is and did any of the births of your children impact you going down that road? That's a really good question. So midwifery kind of um, fell into my lap, actually. Um, so when I was doing my undergraduate degree, the college that I went to, um, Oberlin College, which is a small school in northeastern Ohio, um, every January we had something called winter term. And basically it was an opportunity to explore things that maybe you wouldn't get a chance to in a normal under, undergraduate degree. So you could basically do anything as long as you got a faculty sponsor, whether it was an independent project or a group project. Um, and I knew I was always interested in women's health and, um, and women's rights. And so um, I kind of thought, well, wouldn't it be really cool if I just got to like shadow a midwife and just see what they do and, um, and see what that's all about. So I kind of reached out to some student midwife platforms back then. It was like, you know, not the same as Facebook and everything, but it, was it wasn't like as a, easy. <laughs> no, it was like an email listserv, right? So um, a student reached out to me when I just posted like, hey, I just am wondering if there's opportunities to shadow someone and, and see what midwifery looks like. And she was like, hey, I'm at this birth center in, here in El Paso, Texas, and it's really busy and you would see a lot. And and they do have a program for, for students and, um, you know, you could come in and see what it's like. And I was like, great, well, I'll spend my winter time doing that. And um, I applied and I got in and and I thought that I would just be there, like just watching for that month. Um, 
but it turned out they were really short staffed. And so by the end of the month, I actually caught four babies. Of course, <laughs> yeah, of course, under, you know, very direct supervision. Um, I saw my first birth about three hours after I arrived. It was about three o'clock in the morning on January 4th. I love and how you remember. That's I how you do. know it was like life changing. It right? was. It was absolutely life changing. It was, um, uh, yeah, it was just completely blew my whole world open. And as soon as I, you know, I was kind of standing in the back of the room and um, just watching and, and um, I just thought, oh my gosh, like this is my life calling. Like this is what I have wow. to do. And I just fell in love with it immediately. And and so I just got thrown into the work and it was crazy busy that month. And I think they only had three students at the time, which with a birth center that has like, you know, 40 to 50 births a month, that was pretty shorthanded. So I just got thrown in. They just were training me like on the job and I was learning Spanish, which was crazy. And I mean, like I, I had some, but really not much. And so, um, you know, I always had someone with me. I was never alone, but um, I just fell in love right away. So this is before I had any children of my own. Um, I was only 20 years old. I was pretty young oh and gosh, just kind yeah, of so young thrown into it. Um, but certainly it influenced, obviously, how I chose to have my children. Um, mm. You know, I didn't have my first baby until about three years after that point. Um, I completed my internship and my residency at CASA. Um, so I ended up back and forth spending about two years there, two and a half years. Um, and, um, you know, got pregnant with my son pretty shortly after I completed my residency. So um, actually wow. funny story and tell me if I'm chattering too much. No, but no. We love it. We love it. Go on. <laughs> so my, um, the owner of the birth center where I worked, um, I, when I went back the second time, so I spent that first month and then the next year I spent my summer there um, in between my semesters and uh, she invited me to a barbecue for the 4th of July. And and so I went and her son was home um, on his, he was in the military and he was on his two-week leave and um, we fell in love and I married him. No way. Talk about a fully immersive experience, right? Yeah, exactly. You everything. Yeah, exactly. I never thought that I was going to find my career and my eventual like life partner by going to this one place, but that's what happened. And now oh my 19 gosh. years later, and four kids, there you go. <laughs> so, wow. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> I know it's crazy, but that's my life. That's what happened. So yeah, that's like so random too, that like you ended up here. Like, right? you know, that like, I don't know. That's so weird. Life is crazy. Yeah. That's it just awesome. seemed like the stars aligned, I guess, for us. And um, you know, he was in the military. We got we got married pretty soon after we met because he was getting deployed, and um, and basically we got pregnant with our first child like as soon as he got home. So wow, <laughs> man, that's awesome! And then, so with the your children, did where did you give birth? So we lived in um, in Salt Lake City, Utah, for about six years after he got out of the army. Um, well, we lived in Colorado Springs for a little bit before that because uh, that's where he was stationed. So I worked, I had an opportunity to work with some really great home birth midwives there in Colorado Springs and then in Salt Lake City. Um, 
but we had our first two children in Salt Lake City. We planned home births with all of our four kids, but actually needed to transfer to the hospital for both of our, for two of our children, our, our first and our third children. And um, I think that really influenced a lot of my practice. And, and that experience, I think, really helped me to um, empathize with clients when I do need to transfer that, you know, even though every situation is different, I can understand some of those feelings of, of that transition being challenging. Um, so yeah, my first was born in a hospital, um, with a really wonderful certified nurse midwife and a really great team. He was, he was having some pretty serious signs of distress. So ended up with pretty much every intervention short of a C-section, but it was necessary. And I'm really grateful we had that. And then my second child, my daughter was born in our living room in a birth pool, very smooth, easy labor with a great midwife. Um, Our second two children, our two boys were born here here at El Paso. Um, So our, our third child um, was born at UMC after a transfer from home to hospital due to a persistent brow presentation. So that was fun. Um, And then our last child was born in our living room in a birth pool. He was my biggest. He was nine pounds and pretty smooth labor went, went really well. And all of my kids got to be present for his birth. So that was really cool. Wow, that's, that's awesome. amazing. And at yeah. the point where you had kids, you were already a practicing midwife or you were still training? I was still training for the first two. Um, okay. So I was I was still a student and um, actually did end up like assisting the midwife who was my midwife for um, my first two children um, and, and working with her, training with her. I sat my licensing wow. exam, the NARM, when I was 32 weeks pregnant with my second child. But I passed, so yay. (laughs) Oh my gosh, how did you even remember your name at that point? It was so hard. (laughs) I would be studying and just like trying to keep awake, you know, like while my toddler napped, and I would just be like, Oh Oh my gosh. I had to ask like special permission to be able to because you're not supposed to leave the exam room. And I was like, I'm gonna have to go to the bathroom. Like, yeah, you're gonna have to let me. Oh, yeah, that was an experience, but I'm glad that I, I got it taken care of before things got even more busy with life. So I ended up getting Amazing. licensed in Utah, but I still mostly assisted at that point. Other midwives, I wasn't quite ready to be on my own, especially with two little kids at home. And then we moved moved back to El Paso when my daughter was almost three. And then mm-hmm. I, I started back at the birth center where I did my training and I worked there um, until that center unfortunately closed. And then I started work at Maternidad La Luz, which is another birth center here in El Paso. And I worked there for the first birth center was Casa de Nacimiento. That's yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, my, um, brother's mother-in-law gave birth there and she loved it. She was like, it was amazing. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, that place had so much history. So it was pretty hard when it closed. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, it closed maybe three or four months after I had my third baby. So I I did, he came to work with me for a little bit once he was six months old, six weeks old. We did some shifts together. All of my babies have attended births with me. (laughs) Wow. Which is easier to do when they're little, little, (laughs) because you just throw them in a wrap and they're fine. (laughs) Yes. It's harder when they're crawling and stuff, but 
Yeah. Wow. So then I worked at Maternidad de Luz. And then um, when I um, stopped working there, I started working at the retreat and started building my my own personal practice. So. And around what year was that when you started building your own personal practice? Um, 2016. Awesome. Wow. What a journey. And I was going to ask you, I know, man, (laughs) you are amazing for like being pregnant and getting everything done. And that's awesome. Um, I was going to tell you when, when you got transferred the two times, was it a scary experience for you or how, especially since you were, I mean, I think it's different when you're kind of like, you don't know much about what's going on. Like me as sure. a nurse, like I could tell like if my, you know, my parents or anybody goes to the hospital, I get super anxious because I right. know the possibilities and everything like that. Right. So did you feel that or were you able to kind of stay calm through it? I mean, a little of both. Um, with my first, I think it was a little scarier because he, he did, um, he did pass meconium in the fluid and then we had some, he had some decelerations of the heart rate Um, so it was very clear that things were not going normally. Um, Mm. so that was a little bit scary, but, um, I always kind of just had a, a peaceful feeling that he was going to be okay and that we were Mm going to, you know, we got excellent care at that hospital. Um, the certified nurse midwife, like came in and explained everything that she, uh, all the options we had, my home birth midwife was, was present and, and we kind of discussed everything together. So that really helped smooth out the process. I mean, of course it was disappointing. I, you know, and it was hard as a midwifery student at the time to not give birth at home. Um, and I spent a lot of time like processing that and the midwife that was my midwife spent a lot of time doing that with me, which I think really helped. Um, but the actual transfer itself didn't feel scary because she was very, she was very calm. Um, and, you know, she made sure that everything went as smoothly as it could, you know, contacting the hospital, making sure they had my records, being able to stay with me that all made a huge difference. And and she rode in the car with us and, and continued to listen to the baby's heart rate, um, which did stabilize actually did get a lot better. Um, so it didn't feel like a frantic thing, but like, uh, we need to, it's time to go somewhere where we have, um, some interventions we don't have available at home. Um, so, you know, of course it's scary anytime the plan changes and you worry, but I always just felt like I was in really good hands and, and, you know, everything did turn out okay. He, he, he did have some trouble right at first, but, um, like I said, we got really good care and he, I mean, he's, he's been healthy and perfect ever since. So yeah, it was definitely the right call. I think in some ways that transfer, even though it was hard, was, um, it was so clear that that it was necessary and it needed to happen that, that I think helped me mentally be able to process like, you know, there's a time and a place for interventions and, and this was the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I'm not anti-hospital and, and recognizing and seeing that like being in the hospital was a very empowering and very positive experience for the most part for me and that the practitioners were really excellent and um, really caring and um, excuse me, very respectful of, of our uh, choices overall. It, it was a pretty good experience. Um, 
The second transfer I wasn't scary. Um, you know, he was the baby was stable, and so was I. Right. It was more for a we've tried all these things, and this baby isn't shifting position. Um, and you know, and it was taking a long time. So you know, it did feel like the right thing to do, but. Unfortunately, I didn't have as good an experience with um, the, you know, the care providers that we encountered at the mm. hospital at that time. And so that that I think was harder for me to deal with emotionally. But um, but it, it did. It also didn't feel frantic or anything like that. I mean, baby was fine. It just was also um, like it's time to try something different that we don't have at home. So, and everything turned out totally fine. But emotionally, I think that one was more difficult for me. Oh, interesting. And I I think it's good to, first, I think it's good that you have that experience as well as a midwife, that you Mm -hmm. have experience like that. Like you said, like you could relate to your clients if a transfer has to happen because you've been there. But also to know that transfers are not always this like hectic, like life or death like we need right. to go now kind of thing. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's it's for, you know, just like you said, like your baby's presentation, like it just things were you guys couldn't, it was taking long and the baby wasn't changing. Like it just was different. It wasn't like mm-hmm. an emergent thing. So I think it's, right. it's good to have that perception, um, those perspectives. Next question is, can you tell us the differences or the different types of midwives? I know you had mentioned the certified sure. nurse midwife, and then mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not actually sure the type of midwife that you are because I I okay. Celia, I don't know if you guys are the same type of midwife, but yes, you can go ahead and yeah. explain. Yeah, sure. Um, so the the two main differences: the certified nurse midwives become a registered nurse nurses before they go into a midwifery program. Um, So they'll do, you know, a registered nurse program or a Bachelor of Science in Nursing program. And then they go on to do usually a three-year midwifery program. Um, So often nurse midwives, not always, but often they work in hospital-based practices, but all over the country, it's different state by state where they can have privileges. Um, but a, a lot of times they, they do have hospital privileges, but many also work in birth centers or at home as well. Certified professional midwives, which is what I am, um, we go directly into midwifery instead of becoming a nurse first. And there's kind of different pathways to doing that. Um, some people use like an apprenticeship model where they're lo- learning you know, hands-on as as they're studying, um, maybe in a, a self-directed way, or there's quite a few different um, like online courses. And then there's also some schools as well where people will learn their didactics and then also have um, you know hands-on training models with different preceptors who will who will teach them and, and, and take them under their wing for for apprenticeship model. Um, so. I mean, there are also midwives all over the world or in the in our country that don't become certified professional midwives that um, are, you know, it depends on the situation that are, there are different states have different regulations and there are plenty of midwives that are really well trained that choose not to um, get licensed or have um, a certified professional midwife title. And then, you know, state by state have their different regulations, like I mentioned. So um, I am a a CPM and then I'm also a licensed midwife, which just um, 
means that I'm licensed in a certain state. So in Texas, I'm a licensed midwife, and I'm also licensed in New Mexico since we're so close to the New Mexico border, and I do have clients in those areas. And what so would you are, say are, are the limitations like with a CPM in Texas? Like is what are your, I guess, boundaries? What are the things that you cannot do? Sure. Now that's a great question. So I, I can't, I don't have hospital privileges, so I don't do any deliveries in hospitals. Um, so that's the first thing. And then, you know, we have certain regulations where um, we have to have standing orders from a physician in order to carry certain medications and such, which... Uh, many of us do carry um, like anti-hemorrhagic medications for postpartum hemorrhage, um, like lidocaine for suturing any tearing that happens during birth, during birth um, antibiotics that we can carry to treat uh, group B strep if, um, if our clients opt for that. So there's a few different things that we do have access to, but we have to have that standing orders in order to legally carry those medications. Um, and then, you know, there's kind of some parameters about like what what we should be attending at home and what would be safer to attend, um, safer for a client to be in a hospital setting. Um, you know, so certain things like if, if a client has um, gestational diabetes that is not able to be controlled with diet and exercise and they require insulin, then that would be a reason to um, transfer care to an obstetrician. Or sometimes often I'll transfer care to um, a group of certified nurse midwives, specifically the one at Texas Tech. They're really great. We've worked a lot together over the years. Um, Or, you know, if someone developed, say, preeclampsia, then that that would be a time to go to a hospital. Um, You know, there's a couple other, I mean, we have in our regulations kind of all of our parameters of um, things that we um, are required to offer our clients um, and then situations where, um, you know, a, a referral to a physician is, is re- recommended or a transfer to a physician. Like our laws do state that we can only attend um, out of hospital birth for term pregnancies. So that's between 37 and 42 weeks. Um, so that's one of the, I mean, I guess limitation, but it's more... I think a guideline for us to consider as we're um, as we're planning for home births, we always want to plan home births in the in the best situation, um, right. usually in low risk situations, so that we can protect the safety of the family. Um, you know, it's important to make sure we're um, you know home birth can be a very safe option for a lot of people, probably about eighty five percent of people who are pregnant. But it is important to recognize that some people really, it it is a better idea to be in the hospital for them. Right. No, and and I love that too, because I think a lot of times people um, think like midwives are very anti-hospital, anti that intervention. And it's it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily, it's not true. It's that, you know, there's a time and a place for things and, and recognizing that, yeah, sometimes you do have to go to the hospital and that's okay. Sometimes that's the best care for you. Um, Right. And what what would you say is the difference between the obstetric model of care and the midwifery model of care? Sure. So the midwifery model of care considers, um, you know, the childbearing year, you know, pregnancy and birth and, and, um, you know, the postpartum period to be a normal physiologic process um, that, you know, it's not an emergency, it's not an illness, it's, it's what our bodies 
can do naturally. You know, I, I think it kind of focuses on the normalcy of the process and being prepared for possible issues that may come up, but not really um, expecting or anticipating them to happen. Whereas I think the obstetric model more looks at uh, midwifery as almost a pathologic process, like an illness, um, and and kind of expects problems to present themselves. And I, I think that's part of um, the training and and the mindset of our modern medical system is less yes. understanding of of the natural processes of the body and more focus on treatment than preventative care. Um, and you know the hospital is a place where people need to be when, when they're sick, but pregnancy mm. isn't an illness um, until there's something that comes up that is a problem. And then of course that's time to access those services. But for folks that are experiencing a normal physiologic pregnancy, you know, it doesn't seem necessary to enter into a system that um, is for treating illnesses and, and um, disorders and problems. So I'd say that's kind of the main differences. A lot of it is, um, you know, the philosophy and, and the way that people are trained. Yeah, and I think I, I had concurrent care with my pregnancy, and um, mm-hmm. I did notice that even just like the appointments were so different, right? Even yeah. just kind of like my appointments with my OB were like super fast, um, right? In and out. You know, I think if I asked her stuff, she would take the time like she didn't seem rushed I know some physicians are kind of like rushed like that had that have mm-hmm. that rushing like mentality um but it was very fast and with I remember right. with my midwife it was very like I feel like I sometimes I was like man she was with me for like an hour and she did not seem at all like get out of my house so it's very different in that way too but thank you for that I think that that gives great insight for people that are not aware as well and then what do you think would be the biggest misconceptions about midwifery care? I listed a few bullet points, but let's see if off the top of your head, like what, what are the biggest things people tell you? And you're just like, whoa, that's not at all. <laughs> it. I mean, first of all, is that people are always worried about the safety. You know, th- that's always the first question I get is, oh, is that safe? Or I don't know if people think we just like show up in, in our Birkenstocks and like, sing kumbaya and hope everything's okay. <laughs> like, that's not really, I mean, you know, there's a huge spectrum of midwives and different spiritual philosophies and, and ways of practice. But generally, we're, we're, we're trained professionals, right? Like when I right. come, I have a giant bag of gear, and I have two oxygen tanks and resuscitation equipment and medications. I mean, honestly, I probably use those 10 or 15% of the time. Like I have a lot of stuff right. for just in case that I hardly ever use because we usually don't need them, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of people kind of assume that there's a perception that we're like hippies or that we're just like, <laughs> that we just one day were like, Hey, I think I'll be a midwife. Well, no, I trained for like six years and like, you know, this is hard. (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, I have to do a certain amount of like continuing education every year. And I, you know, recertify for CPR and neonatal resuscitation. So like, there's a lot that goes into continuing this and and doing this as a professional career. Um, Right. So yeah, that that's always like the first thing I think people ask is, well, is it, is it safe? And I kind of feel like being like, 
if it wasn't, why would I do this? Like, I wouldn't just be like, yeah, I'll do something yeah. completely irresponsible and unsafe for my job. Um, I know no. that sounds scary. <laughs> no, I mean, there's different risks, right? Like there's risks in the hospital and there's risks at home. So it's looking at like any childbirth is not risk free. Like, unfortunately, right. things can happen, but a lot of things can be handled safely at home and you know but things can happen in the hospital too and sometimes using a lot of the interventions that are available at the hospital when they aren't really necessary you know each intervention does have risk so that can complicate things sometimes but you know there are very few situations i would say that are extremely time sensitive where not being in a hospital could really be an issue but there are some so it's really mm. discussing with each client what their risk profile is and what risks they're comfortable with taking. So yeah, I'd say that's one of the biggest misconceptions is, is that we're like uneducated or not trained properly or that, you know, we don't um, understand risks or, or we're just kind of taking unnecessary risks when I really don't find that to be true of the, of the midwives that I've known and that I've worked with. Um, yeah. So yeah, but everybody always asks about the safety and, you know, I, I do transfer when necessary. Of course, like I mentioned before, I am screening pretty carefully throughout the prenatal period to make sure like, let's make sure this is a good idea. Um, so that's part of what I'm doing at every visit, um, you know, and, and making sure that I'm really reviewing every client's personal situation. Um, and we do monitor things in labor. It's not like we just like show up and, and hope things are okay. <laughs> you know, we check vital signs on on the client every couple of hours. We do listen to the baby with a handheld fetal Doppler at certain intervals for certain amounts of time so we could hear if there's any distress or um, changes in the heart rate that would indicate the baby isn't tolerating labor well. Uh, we don't use continuous monitoring Um and a lot of that is because it does limit freedom of movement for the client. And over time, the use of continuous fetal monitoring really has only shown that it has increased the cesarean rate, but not really increased good outcomes for both uh, pregnant people and their babies. So um, there's a lot of really good information on it's called intermittent um, auscultation or fetal monitoring, which is what we do. Um so there's a lot that we are doing to make sure things are are normal and progressing normally. But I think we do it in a more inobtrusive way. Like our Dopplers are uh, waterproof. So if the client's in a birthing pool or in the shower or wherever they are, I can check on them wherever they are. Same with um, checking vital signs. You know, if they're sitting on the birth ball or standing and swaying, I can do that in whatever position they're in without... Um, interrupting their process and just allowing them to do what is happening naturally in their bodies during labor. And then something funny about that is that I saw this video. <laughs> I had sent it to Bernie, actually. She uh -huh. was a student midwife at my birth. And it's this, I'll have to send it to you. It's super funny. It's about the intermittent monitoring. So this <laughs> lady's like coming up with the monitor and she's like, excuse me, excuse me. And she's like whispering and she's like, no, I'll, I'll just, I'm going to just sit right here. And then it says like, it asks about her car insurance. Like, and I don't know, it's just so funny because I like, that's how I felt. Like they would come in like super like, and they're just like, I'm just gonna, I'm 
just going to check on the baby real quick. But yeah. it's just so funny. I have to send it to you because Bernie oh my is gosh, like, oh my gosh, it. I love the perspective. I'm like, that's literally what I would see, like just randomly like coming in and checking. Yeah. And that's what it's like. <laughs> We're just like, you know, we always want to let you know if we're going to touch yeah. you or anything. So it's like, okay, what? It's time to listen to the babies, okay? Because, you know, maybe you're like super in here. You're in the zone. zone. And I hate like bringing people out of it. So I try to just be like, <laughs> So we laughed so hard because it was like, I just wanted to ask you about your car insurance. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, yeah, send that to me. I, that's yes, fantastic. I and then my when you were talking about the emergency, like preparedness and all of that, my, mm-hmm. my husband always tells people, birth is wild no matter yeah. where you are. That's true. <laughs> that is true. That is but true. philosophy is like, it's wild wherever you are. Yeah. It's very unpredictable and, you know, you you just never really know how things are going to go. And so we right. just try to be prepared for a lot of eventualities. I, I do a training every five years called ALSO, which stands for Advanced Life Support in Obstetrics. And so it's a little more in-depth training on um, emergencies like postpartum hemorrhage, shoulder dystocia, um, surprise breach and, you know, other situations that can occur so that I feel really solid on those more, um, you know, things that can happen at home, but often can be handled at home. And I did have someone ask that if by any, like if something, a possible fatal complication arised, Mm -hmm. um, how would that be dealt with? You know, if, if a higher level, does it ever get to that point you know, because I was told before that, and I don't remember who told me this, it, it was a midwife, but that, you know, you guys are very well versed in kind of seeing the yellow flags so that it yeah. never becomes a red flag. Yes. And so, you you know, things start changing. You guys start noticing like, man, there's a lot of these like yellow flags that are signaling mm-hmm. to me that maybe something bad can happen. Let's go. Yeah. Yep. So I just wanted you to expand on that because I know that that is a big, you know, it's a big event in our lives. And obviously everyone wants the safety of everybody to be maintained. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of what we're doing during labor is is keeping an eye out for those yellow flags. Like I'd much rather transfer before we have a big emergency on our hands. So often that's what we're doing. You know, if we have some decelerations in the fetal heart rate, uh, sometimes it's as simple as changing the client's position, maybe the cord is getting compressed in whatever position they're in. Uh, sometimes they're dehydrated and we'll have them drink a lot of water. Or we, we can offer IV administration uh, for IV therapy of fluids at home. Um, we don't do that like regularly. People don't have to be hooked up to IVs every time, but that is an option we can do. Or, or we carry the oxygen if we need to use it as well. But, you know, if we try a couple of things and, and things are not resolving, then that's when we'll say, you know what, like, you know, it's it's time to go in um, and hopefully getting to that point before we really have um, a serious issue. And, you know, if something does become emergent, we will call EMS and, and get an ambulance for transport to the hospital um, so that it can happen more quickly, but often transfer situations are not urgent. So they're able to go by private vehicle. And and usually I follow them and go after them and and come to the hospital with them as long as that hospital will allow me to stay as a support person. But if there is something very urgent, yeah, we do activate EMS and and try to get things um, moving as quickly as possible. 
there are a few situations that um, that are very time sensitive and and can unfortunately have very uh, severe consequences and negative outcomes. And unfortunately, that's that's part of the work. And um, like I said, mm-hmm. nothing is risk free. And there are some things that you know time is really of the essence and. They're rare things, but they can come up. And I think it's important to make sure that people do know that and know that we're aware of that. And there are procedures that we have in place and things that we can do. But, um, you know, things can happen. Um, But we are well trained to handle a lot of things. Um, Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, there can be uh, very rarely some complications that um, sometimes the distance to the hospital can make a difference. That's so important. That you mm-hmm. discuss these items, you know, throughout your prenatal care. And that I think that's a big misconception. Like what we're saying is that people think that you're waiting until the emergency is there and then right. you're rushing, which in reality, that's not true because, you know, I went on a hospital birth, which to be very honest, my way to the hospital was very chaotic because I've told this story so many times. My husband missed the exit to the hospital. And <laughs> And I showed up fully dilated. So, oh, wow. Okay. You know, it's like, okay, yes, we were going to have a hospital bird that was going to be safe. But then I'm like, sir, you missed the exit. Um, <laughs> you know? So it's kind of mm-hmm. like those, those instances where, you know, you often hear or not being well versed in what other care is out there that you think you're going to be rushed into the hospital. There's going to be an emergency. Like, you know, like when you're in a car accident and the ambulance is rushing right. in, like, that is more often than that's not really what is going to happen is that you're keeping track and you have a plan of if we're going to switch, we're going to switch at a time that is still early enough where, you know, you're still going to be safe. Of course, there's emergencies like it in any case, but right. I think it's so important for a lot of us moms or people that are just planning on birth, like mm-hmm. be aware that there's our options because it's not like something that we're often educated on or that sure. we don't have an interest, right? But just kind of having all those options and, you know, if if this is what you're going to do or this is one of the big holdbacks that you have, then, you know, it's well handled well before <laughs> you're rushing. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you bring that up that, like, it's not that I think that everybody should have a home birth. It's that I think everybody should know what their options are. And I yes. think a lot of people can have a home birth if, if that's what they want and that's what they're comfortable with. But I I never would want someone to do it that does not feel comfortable. It doesn't feel right for them. But a lot of times it is due to misconceptions that people uh, just say, oh, I would never do that or I could never do that. And, you know, I'll hear people say, oh, like, I'm a baby. I can't handle pain. And I'm like, I've had clients like all across the like pain tolerance spectrum. And, and really a lot of it is mental an emotional preparation. And, right. you know, it's, it's not about like, you know, people say, Oh, you're so brave. I'm like, well, not really. I mean, it's, it's really just a different choice and, and maybe one that isn't as common in our culture, but um, definitely something I've seen increase like in the last, since the pandemic started, actually, there was a study that just came out that home births in, in the, in the U S have increased by 20%. In the last two years. Yeah, that's it's pretty crazy. Pretty incredible. So yeah, I mean, un- awesome. of course, I don't want it be- to be because of a global pandemic, yeah. but um, but if anything good is gonna come out of this for I me, know it's, it's that people are looking at their options a little bit more. Um, 
So I think it's really important just for people to know, yeah, like what our capabilities are, what kind of training do we have? Like, what are we prepared for? And um, yeah, important for people to know that um, we are prepared for quite a few emergencies and, and we won't, we won't hesitate if, it, if it's time to go to the hospital, we'll go. Right. No. And I think what well, big thing for me and my husband was that, I mean, at the same time, like even if, say for whatever reason, you did not care about the families you're caring for and you're just like kind of like whatever, right? It's your license at the end of the day. Like that's yeah. also what like me and my husband would, would tell, tell each other. It's like she's not going to do anything that's going to hurt her license because right. you yeah. know what I mean? Like even if it was just like self-preservation mode, like you're not going to do anything to hurt yourself either. Right. So it's like it's kind of – all these things in one, like you're not going to just be reckless to be reckless. Like there's right. no, nece- there's no need. Um, yeah. I mean, I have a very defined scope of practice and it's based on the regulations. It's based on my experience level. It's based on, you know, what I've encountered and what I haven't. And and that's going to vary from midwife to midwife because, right. you know, I've been, I've been licensed for 15 years, but I may have a different tolerance level for someone who's been licensed for two or someone mm-hmm. who, and you know someone who's been practicing for forty years or you know twenty years you know mm-hmm. we're all at different levels and there's different things that that we feel prepared to handle um, at home so you know that's something that I think each practitioner has to consider specifically for themselves within you know their you know their state regulations as well but you know some states are not regulated at all so it it can vary quite a bit oh wow I didn't know that yeah and then. Another misconception, I, I wrote some down that I had, you know, seen around. It was like sure. hospitals are more sanitary, which I don't know. To me, hospitals are disgusting, but that's just because I worked at a hospital for like seven years and I do right. not know why you would think it was clean. <laughs> I mean, I think I think people think that for a lot of reasons, you know, right. but also hospitals have a lot of – because there's so many people there that are sick and – there are things that happen that aren't necessarily anyone's fault. But if you think about like super bugs, like MRSA and things like that, like, like a Petri dish, it's just a giant Petri dish. Right. right. And at home, you know, no, it's not a sterile environment, but birth is really never sterile. Like let's, and it's our Petri that. dish. Right. right. That's exactly it's my it, Petri dish. <laughs> yeah. And your baby has already been exposed to whatever germs and bugs are living in your home. So, you know, um, yeah, people ask that all the time. Like, is it sanitary? And I'm like, I mean, all my equipment is clean and sterilized, right? So everything I bring into your home is sterile. But like, your home isn't. But like, I mean, they clean really well you in the hospital, here. but things still happen and bugs still can. There's a lot of sick people there. So stuff yeah. happens. And people think home birth is real messy. And it's not really. I mean, we do. I have my clients order um, a birth supply kit that has like a bunch of disposable supplies, like uh, plastic sheeting and absorbent underpads and things to kind of mm-hmm. to help protect your your bed or your furniture or your floor. Um, water birth is actually like super clean because everything just goes in the tub, Contained. and then we we drain the tub down the toilet and. <laughs> it's gone like it's just not nothing happened here (laughs) yeah I mean sometimes like we'll use towels and such and sometimes they'll get some blood or something but we treat it with hydrogen peroxide and wash we start a load of laundry before we leave if baby poops on anything it's ruined I mean that 
at meconium stains so bad. So, I mean, that's the one thing I'll say. Thanks. Baby poops on a towel. It's time to just chuck it. Like, it, yeah, just throw it, it out. <laughs> but we can't Not, control that, right? Like, no, you can't. That's just a welcome to motherhood, a gentle yes. welcome. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it's not that no, messy. My house was impeccably clean after. Like, yeah, I was like, nothing happened here. Like, I yeah. like, you know, nothing. And my husband was like, yeah. oh, no, so much happened. And I was just yeah. like, really? Because it looks like nothing happened at all. Well, we try, you know, like when I started babysitting when I was a teenager, my mom would always be like, always leave it nicer than you came. And so that's what I do with midwifery, like Your philosophy okay, make there. sure all my gear is cleaned up and like, you know, we break down the pool and put it away and, you know, I make sure like things are tidy and get the laundry going, make sure everybody has some food and like tidy up a little bit because like, yeah, I don't, you just had a baby. I don't want to be like, well, have fun dealing with that mess. See you later. Like, Imagine. Oh. imagine that would be hilarious okay oh my gosh all that bye yeah good luck okay bye no <laughs> and another misconception which i think it's kind of but you'll get better more attentive care in a hospital and i'm super biased because i worked in a hospital so i'm trying to mm-hmm. see like how people are seeing it that like know nothing about the internal workings of the hospital right but- i think i mean i i don't want to like disparage the work of hospital providers because I think no. it's so necessary and I think it's they different. often They're do really. So thin. That's exactly it. For me, yeah. like, I feel like I'm in this really um, privileged position where, like, I get to decide how many clients I want to uh, work with do in a month and, and I can really control my time in that way. Um you know, since I have a private practice, I can make a lot of decisions about that. And, and that means I can spend an hour sitting with a client in a prenatal visit, because I don't have to worry about, okay, well, I got 20 more people I need to see today. Like, that's just not part of, um, you know, a pressure for me. It's not really what I experience. So um, yeah, I am able to spend a lot more time with my clients, which usually means, they do get very personalized care. Like, you know, we spend an hour with each other at each visit and prenatally, like depending on when people start care, that may be 10 to 12 visits or so. Like I get to know a lot of the things that you're concerned about, things that are going on in your life and your family, get a good understanding about what's really important to you during your birth, what you want, what you don't want. Um, so that means that often I don't have to ask you questions in labor. Like I already know that about right. what you want. So I don't have to bother you about that right now. Whereas in a hospital, like it's shift work and there's different nurses and different providers on at different times, which is fine. But then, you know, they're looking at your chart to check and see what what you need and, and what's going on for you. But um, I don't have to do as much of that because I really kind of already know that. Um, right. So... I think you get you can get very high quality care in both places. It's just really different. Um, right. I also really like to like I consider my practice to be very family centered. Um, like I love to get siblings involved. Um, you know, they're always welcome at at prenatal and postpartum visits. It's really fun to have kids like help pump up the blood pressure cuff or listen to helpless lit turn on the Doppler to listen to baby or measure the belly. I mean, 
even really young kids can really get into that and really enjoy right. it. And, and then I find that I start building a relationship with those children too, so that when I'm coming into their home, they are more relaxed about around me. They, they're not like as worried or um, nervous. So, um, you know, I like to get them involved too. Like, oh, so depending on that child, right. Mm-hmm. And, and on the family, on the couple, on the pregnant person and, and what she wants and, um, you know, what, what they want together, like what works best, you know, sometimes simple things like little kids, like pouring water on, on the client while they're in the tub or bringing them a drink. Um, or sometimes we'll have them like help us weigh and measure the baby. I've had little kids cut the cord. Um, I even had a big sister catch her baby brother a couple of years ago, which was really, really awesome. Um, So I do think that can help kids with their transition to being a big sibling is that, again, like this is a family centered event, you're adding a person to your family. So it should feel that way. And I try to build that in the prenatal period as well. Well, that's so cool. I would have never thought, but you're right that it it might help them, you know, handle that big change in their lives. They're, you know, they're those little kids running around, like not knowing exactly what's happening, but being involved and like, oh, wow, like that's my little brother, my little sister. That's so cool. And you're right about the, and what I, when I said about the inner workings of the hospital is because as a nurse, I know that it's just hard, even when you have the best intentions to be there for your patients as much as you can, it's hard because of the way things are, the amount of patients you have right, and like all the other pressures of, you know, being there Mm -hmm. that, that you as a patient are not going to see but are totally happening. And it's different when it's like how you said, it's very like, this is the only birth that you're worrying about for right now. Right, exactly. And so you don't have to think of any other people giving birth. Like this is your focus for this amount of time and that's it. So it's it's different. Like you said, is it possible to get good care in both places? Absolutely. Is it possible to get bad care in both places? Yes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So it's good to know that it, it it, it exists in both things. Like it's mm-hmm. not like home birth is like, you know, because not all midwives are the same. Not all OBGYNs right. are the same. So exactly. And then and another we're able one. to offer – oh, sorry. I was just no, going to no, go say ahead, go ahead. As, as part of the care, you know, we are checking the same things, right? Like we are mm-hmm. checking the growth of the uterus. We are checking on the, the fetal heart rate, on all the vital signs. We're checking on urine. We I do laboratory work. You know, I draw blood in my office. Um, I also order ultrasounds at an imaging center. So, you know, the care is quite comprehensive. Um, right. Some of my clients will choose to do concurrent care with an OB, which is totally fine. And some of them don't. But either way, uh, you are going to be able to access everything that, that you need for, for comprehensive prenatal care. And that's awesome. Yeah, that's important to know. Like, like mm-hmm. you said, it's not like we're just guessing about right. things. Like we are, we do know. Yep. The data and everything. And when mm-hmm. we were talking about the babies, I was thinking of of Cassie. Like if, if she would totally want to be like, let me turn this on. Let me measure mm-hmm. the belly. Like yeah. I could totally mm-hmm. see her being like, I'm the midwife. Yep. <laughs> I will check yep. my mommy right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's so different, right? Because like I went the hospital route and like that was her first baby, right? And even my husband and I talked about silly things as a dog parent, right? Like, Oh my God, like someone needs to go get the dogs out. Somebody needs to do this. But like now that I think about Cassie, I'm like, 
wait, you're seriously going to tell me I need to spend one or two days away from my daughter? Like, that's not going to work. Like, it's just not because we're so, yeah, we're a unit. Like, now it's not just mom and dad. We don't think about just us two. It's like, well, what's going to be comfortable for her? And that's why one of the big options that we even talked about is how tired we were at the hospital. Like, we didn't rest at all. We, you know, we showed up. I delivered um, right away. We didn't get a room until... I got taken out from, I didn't, de- I didn't, de- I delivered in the OR, but it wasn't a C-section. It was just no room was available. Yeah. So like, hey, this is delivered. We went back to triage. Um, so Cassie was born at 3.05 in the morning. We didn't get a room till like close to seven. Okay. So I was yeah. just in triage. And wow. like, we think about that. And it's like, yeah, there's no way Cassie will be allowed to do none of that until we got a room. Now with right. COVID, she might not even be led into the hospital. Right. And so we've thought about a home birth because of that is like, we want her here with us. We want her to know yeah. what's going on. And we wouldn't want to be separated from her, period. Right. And so, yeah, mm. her being involved, when you were saying stuff like that, I'm like, oh, Cassie would be touching everything. She would be so excited. <laughs> There's something growing inside yeah. of mommy. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, I think that would make such a good experience for her to transition. Like you said, transition into being a big sister. Yeah. But just being her personality the way she is, like, she will probably be like, Mommy, you okay? Because that's her thing yeah. right now. Mommy, you okay? Yeah. Mommy, you okay? <laughs> so, yeah, and sometimes aw. kids, like, you know, they worry about their, their parent, like, being in pain. And um, so sometimes they need a break, right? Like, or honestly, a lot of times kids sleep through it because it's usually the middle of the night. Let's be real. Right. And then they just wake up and they have a new baby. It's kind of fun. So, um, but you know, we talk to kids, we prepare them so that they know, like, these are some of the sounds that mommy might make and, and mommy's okay. She's just working really hard. Um, So we try to prepare them. And then, you know, sometimes like, I love the home birth and it's great and it's beautiful, but I almost think the postpartum is the best part of home birth. Like, You don't have to go anywhere. So you don't have to like get yourself together and get out the door or anything. You like, you know, we stay three to four hours generally after the birth, like make sure everybody's stable. We do a full head to toe exam of the baby, make sure like baby has breastfed and make sure everybody's eaten and make sure everybody's okay. And, you know, checking on vital signs and everything, making sure things are going well. And, um, and then we go. We go home and then we come back the next day and check on everybody. And and honestly, a lot of the time, like I can tell that the clients like, I'm good. Can you go? Because I need to go to bed. You know, like they know the only reason they're staying awake is because we're there. Right. Um, but I do think it's a little more restful than being in the hospital where so many different procedures and people coming in and out. And, you know, at home, like, yeah, we're there for a little while and we're checking on things. But um, after that, it's like, OK, well, go to bed. See you tomorrow. Like, yeah, you know, when you're in your own bed, you get to eat your own food. And I think sometimes in the hospital, you feel like you need to ask permission to like do anything. But when you're in your house, like it's your house, right? Like you just you do what you got to do and take it easy and hopefully get a little bit more sleep. (laughs) Yes, no, that's very true. And you're right. I think it was it was awesome to just be at home and like, yeah. My parents came, you know, like they were sitting at the table. Like, I don't know. It was just like, I'm home. Like there's nothing else that has to be done. Like we're just here and that's it. Mm -hmm. Another, another misconception. Well, Carla kind of mentioned it when she said that, you know, it's our, it was our first baby. 
So that a lot of times people think that maybe for my second one, or it's not for, you know, not for not safe for my first time, because I don't know how it's going to play out kind of thing. Hear that all the time. Um, And and I would say, in general, I think there is a very slight higher chance of needing to transfer for a first baby. And most of that just has to do with the length of labor. Usually the first labor is the longest. So it's often the, um, you know, there, there is a time sometimes when I don't have like a limit on how long someone should be in labor or you should progress this much every hour. You know, I don't have any of that, but some people will really run into where we're seeing clinical exhaustion, where like the body is not functioning well anymore because they're, they haven't slept and they've been having contractions for so many hours. And, and sometimes an epidural is a really good idea for a situation like that. So I would say there's a slightly higher risk of needing to transfer for a first baby, but not huge. And I do plenty of first time births at home. And I will tell you what, I get a lot of people who come to me for their second, third, fourth babies that have had all hospital births before. And then they have the home birth experience and they say, gosh, I really wish I'd done this from the beginning. So, you know, yeah, people will say, well, you never know how it's going to go with your first baby. No, you never know. I mean, you never know with any baby how it's going to go because it can be so different. But Mm -hmm. I do always recommend to all of my clients that are planning their first home birth, whether it be their first baby or not, um, childbirth education can be invaluable, especially childbirth education that's really geared towards planning an unmedicated birth. It's really about the emotional preparation and also learning coping skills for the discomforts of labor. Um, I definitely have seen people, especially first-time parents, being more successful in achieving a home birth when they feel more prepared and when they've really done that preparation. I do love working with doulas. I think that makes such a huge difference in every birth situation, but especially a first-time baby just because, yeah, it often is longer. Not always. I certainly have had first-time clients have two or three hours of labor. And then we're all like, what just happened? (laughs) But I love working with doulas because I think then we have that extra person on our support team and we all are working together to support that, that client in their labor process. And, and it also helps to have as a team, someone extra to like, if it is really long and we're there a long time, then we can support each other and like, Hey, why don't you go sleep for two hours? I got this. And you know, midwives and doulas have different roles. Like I, right. I have like clinical responsibility and monitoring responsibility and those sorts of things. But I always bring an assistant with me to births. We work together. And um, my assistant right now, her name is Susie Pena, and she's fantastic. She's an advanced midwifery student. And um, wow, she'll hopefully be sitting her licensing exam in the next few months. So We've been working together about two years now, but, but we'll do that where, you know, we're present, we're both there, but like, if it's a really long birth, you know, maybe the doula is doing a lot of like the labor support and, you know, double have hip squeeze and all those sorts of things. And then maybe the doula needs a minute. So then Susie will take a turn and then maybe Susie needs right. a minute and then I'll take a turn. And and so, you know, I think having that extra support and also that that advocacy, that preparation that doulas can really provide can make a world of difference in um, have, achieving the type of birth that, that folks want. Um, but yeah, I think first timers, go for it. It's totally doable. <laughs> 
it's it's really about right. preparation and and um, and knowledge and um, you know it's it's definitely doable. Yeah, no, I think you're right. If you're if it's something that you're willing to try, then do it. I don't, I don't yeah, you know that shouldn't be the thing to keep you from it. Right? Mm-hmm. And then another one was that home births are more expensive. Well, that depends on a few things, right? Like some insurance policies, if people have private insurance, like their deductibles are super high and they're going to pay just as much, if not more, being in a hospital. Um, if An average hospital birth, if someone's paying out of pocket cash is probably going to cost about ten to $12,000. And that's like the bare minimum, no complications, no NICU stay, no C-section, you know, it goes up and up and up from there. Um, I charge $3,500 for home birth services. So that includes all of the prenatal care, the labor and birth, and six weeks of postpartum care for both um, the client and their baby. Um, and the six and the postpartum care is a little different. I usually see my clients four to five times in that six-week period. Whereas usually when you have a baby in the hospital after you're discharged, you don't get seen again until six weeks, which I think is a little crazy. Like so much can happen in that time period. And I'm really looking at the parent and baby as a dyad, you know, like the, you know, addressing breastfeeding issues or making sure baby is gaining weight well, make sure the client is healing well. Um, So there's a lot of more follow-up care. So it's not that $3,500 is nothing. It's nothing to sneeze at. You know, that's a significant amount of money. I understand that. Um, And I think it's especially hard for folks like um, that have Medicaid or maybe TRICARE in this area that um, otherwise their birth would be paid for. Um, I do work with clients with, you know, income-based discounts and try to work on flexible payment plans as much as I can. But of course, this is my job and how Mm -hmm. I support my family and, and I need to pay my assistant and my own, (laughs) you know, overhead costs. So, um, you know, I wish I could do it for free, but I can't. (laughs) So, yeah, so it it can be pricey in some situations. So I try to work with those families, but, um, you know, a lot of times people with high deductibles would be paying that much for a hospital birth anyways, or if they had to pay cash, they don't have insurance, they'd be paying a lot more in the hospital in a lot of situations. So no, yeah. And I think what you guys offer is just so extensive that, mm-hmm. you know, it might be, it, it. well, it is worth the investment. It's worth, right. you know, looking into and, you know, working. That's what I had. I tell people too, is like, go meet with them. You don't know what they offer. Right. You don't know if they have payment plans or right. sales or whatever, but mm-hmm. go talk to them. You you don't know, you know, you think that it's this huge number, but until you actually go speak to them, right. like, you don't know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because we're talking about the newborn screenings and all that. Mm-hmm. That's something also that I don't think we knew when we were interviewing um, our midwife was that you guys do have like training and screening the newborns yes, and um, all that like background paperwork, like mm-hmm. for the birth certificates and yep. like all of that is taken care of by you. Yes. So that's super cool. Like yep. that's something that I did not know. And my husband yep. asked extensively about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, we want you to have to do as little running around town and paperwork as possible. So we we file birth certificates, which also automatically files for a social security card. Um, I provide a pediatric referral for all of my clients when they have their babies so that when they take their baby to the pediatrician, they have all the info on baby and, and what baby needs or 
um, you know, what's already been taken care of. I do offer the erythromycin, which is the antibiotic eye ointment and also the vitamin K injection. Um, but it's an option. You know, everything is a choice for my clients. Like we'll talk about risks and benefits of every prenatal testing, any procedure. Um, and ultimately, it, it, my clients get to decide what they're comfortable with. Um, but I do carry those things. Um, I also do the newborn um, screening, which is the blood spot test. If you, if you re- remember it, mm-hmm. um, it's like a little card where we get mm-hmm. drops of blood from the baby's foot, which gets sent into the state and it tests for 54 different um, disorders. Um, most of them are metabolic disorders, but there's also thyroid issues, hemoglobin problems, um, cystic fibrosis, all these sorts of things. So we do screen for that. Um, we also do another test on the first day postpartum called the critical congenital heart defect screening, um, which is a test we do with a pulse oximeter to make sure as the baby's blood is circulating, it's getting properly oxygenated. Um, and that can sometimes catch some heart defects, um, which mm-hmm. so that can be it's a very non-invasive test that can really be um, life saving for for newborns. So those are some of the things that we do take care of for babies. Um I personally can't, I don't have the equipment to do hearing screening. So I refer my clients to an audiologist to do that. Or like the the only thing that I don't carry that generally is um, provided for babies in the hospital is the hepatitis B vaccine. So if I have clients that want that, then they, then I let them know and they see their pediatricians to get that done. But pretty much everything right. else is taken care of um, in a home birth setting. Yeah, that's amazing. That that was very impressive to us, you know. And I mean, at then you you're gonna see your pediatrician pretty soon after, regardless. Mm-hmm. So like the other things that aren't taken care of, like can be taken care of there. Right. And I was actually expecting my pediatrician to like get mad at me for having a home birth, but he didn't. He was just like, "That's great. Oh, okay." <laughs> that's it. And he just moved on. I was like, "All right." I thought he was gonna like reprimand me. I was like, "I just had a baby. You don't yell at me." <laughs> like, I do not need yeah. The, Please do not. I don't need, because I was told that someone had told me once that she went to – she had a home birth at the retreat actually and later she went to go get like a screening with the gynecologist and she got super reprimanded like wow. to the point where she started crying like <gasps> about having had a home birth. Oh, so I was really so expecting them to tell me something but I was so pleased that he just – and honestly, if he would have told me something, I think I would have like left, like yeah. not chosen him. So I was happy that he was just like, no, okay, cool. Let's yeah. continue. <laughs> I do try to, I mean, a lot of uh, pediatricians that I've worked with in the area are really open. And um, I do think it's helped building those relationships with pediatricians that I do provide that referral. So like they really know, because a lot of them right. didn't know that I offer the vitamin K or that I do the newborn screening or the, the critical congenital heart defect screening. And, and when they see that form and they see everything that you know, the parents chose to do or didn't choose to do, they they know kind of where they're at. And I think that helps so that it doesn't feel like such an unknown to them. And, you know, a couple of times there's different pediatricians that if I've had a concern about a baby, I'll call and say, this is what's going on, you know, would you be willing to fit this baby in today and get this checked out where it's something that's more time sensitive, maybe not emergent where, you know, we don't necessarily need to go to the hospital with the baby, but something needs to be followed up on. And I think that helps us to build the relationships with the pediatricians in the community that they kind of know, like, okay, yeah, like, this is what this can look like. And, and, you know, and that 
we're trained and, and we're there to, um, for the, you know, looking out for the best interests of both our client and their baby. That's so cool that you've built a relationship with them. That's awesome. Cause I know, I mean, which would follow like a good follow-up to that would be mm-hmm. how about relationships with the midwifery community and like the obstetric community. Is that something that, is it as easily forged as it seems kind of like the pediatricians are a little bit more like open to it. They're kind of like, yeah, okay. As long, you know, that's really cool that you sent me like this written thing of everything that's been mm-hmm. done. Um, is it the same, especially like in terms of transfers, like when you right. have to transfer someone, is it that mm-hmm. same kind of communication and like respect for each other? Or do you think we need to work on that? And how do you I, work on yeah. that? I think there's always room for improvement, but I've definitely been encouraged, especially over maybe the last five or six years or so. I feel like there's been a lot more communication uh, between the midwifery community and especially our our, um, our main transfer hospital. Most of us do transfer to UMC the majority of the time, um, you know, between the home birth midwives and then the birth centers in this community. And um, I think that that's made a big difference is just more communication. There's there's a really fantastic nurse midwife, um, Nikki Screenack at uh, Texas Tech, that mm-hmm. she actually got a grant to um, build on these relationships and really talk about, especially transfer procedures, um, especially mm-hmm. in wake of the the home birth summit, which really talked about what can we do to make home birth safer? Because a, a huge part of that is being able to have smooth transfers when we need them. Um and, you know, even though we know that home birth can be very safe, but if there's a lot of disruption in the transfer process, it can make some complications more difficult to handle and mm-hmm. and can change the experience for, for that family, right? So right. Um, she really put in a lot of work in, um, you know, we had quarterly meetings for quite a while and it was a group of, you know, as, uh, home birth midwives and birth center um, staff and you know, a neonatologist and, and some of the nurse midwives and some of the obstetricians and, um, you know, staff for EMS and charge nurse and, you know, wow. a whole bunch of different professionals. And that all culminated in um, a conference that we had a few years ago where, you know, we did a lot of education about, um, Nikki did a great presentation on what different midwives do and what our capabilities and training are so that, um, a lot of them, the hospital-based practitioners had a better understanding of what home birth can look like or out-of-hospital birth or community birth is, is uh, the preferred term. Um, and I think that made a huge difference. You know, we had a panel in how, like, I was, I was a presenter on that panel about, you know, just addressing questions that hospital providers had about what we do and, you know, a lot of them didn't know the things that we carry or the things that we provide or the training that we have. And, and I think that really helped make some inroads with, um, with our providers at UMC and, and transfer procedures. And, um, you know, we came up with a transfer form that we, we all use now that, you know, helps Mm -hmm. the communication that, that is information that they needed from us and, and a way that's presented to them that's helpful for them. Um, and the team of certified nurse midwives at, U- at Texas Tech have um, really helped put in a lot of work with um, kind of being a go-between sometimes, I think, between yeah. us as the community midwives and um, 
and the obstetricians and, and obstetric teams, um, they really, I've really appreciated, like they've been really willing to, you know, often I'll call them like, this is what's going on. I think I'm going to be sending in a client, like, you know, what doctors on call, like, you know, can you let them know? And then, you know, of course I call and, and, um, let them know, speak to the attending physician. And, um, I really think that's changed a lot of attitudes where, um, often when I call now I'm received very well when I speak with the attending physician and I give them my report and they appreciate that we fax the records. Um, and you know, like if I have clients that want concurrent care, I usually recommend that they go there. Because if, right. if something comes up, a lot of their records are already there and the, and the staff is familiar with their situation and, and that can really help. Um, you know, there's there's always going to be some misconceptions and maybe some tension sometimes just because, you know, we, we're kind of on different spectrums of, of philosophy, philosophy around childbirth. But I do feel like it's um, really improved quite a bit over the last few years. But, you know, we, we can always keep working on it. No, yeah, and I think I asked it because it's like you haven't mentioned it before when you were speaking about it that because it affects the people that are at the center of this, which is going to be the family that's having right. a baby. Mm-hmm. So the exactly. you know if there's tensions between the two sides and transfers are terrible, I mean that's going to have a direct impact on how right. they're treated. And it's like they're not really at they're not at fault. It's that they're just the the point that, you know, everybody kind of can, I don't know, can reprimand or, right. you know, talk down to and kind of take mm-hmm. out their anger on. And right. that could totally affect the rest of their experience. And mm-hmm. that's why I asked, because I'm like, it could become something that was, you know, maybe the, it was like a non-emergent thing. She's mom's tired. Let's just go to the mm-hmm. hospital. But as soon as she gets to the hospital, she's torn down to pieces right. and then, the whole experience kind of goes to right. Mm -hmm. So that's why I was wondering, I'm like, hopefully, and I'm glad to hear that it's made some strides because it it is important because at the end of the day, you know, those are the people that you all are serving. So they're the ones that deserve that treatment, the good treatment. Mm -hmm. What is something that would risk someone out of a home birth? Sure. So I think I mentioned before preeclampsia, of course, um, you know, uncontrolled gestational diabetes is another one. Um, some pre-existing conditions, so like people that have like certain heart conditions, like they probably need further um, care at a hospital where they have capabilities for, um, you know, monitoring or medication that may be needed. Um, I mean, there there's so many possibilities, really. Um, right. But, you know, there, there are some things we can still do at home, but, um, I guess if someone had a concern, would you recommend that they go meet with a a home birth or community midwife and, and talk to them about like, okay, you know, I have this as a preexisting condition because I know that there could be so many. So maybe like the best advice would be to go meet with you or with another midwife and, and speak to you and, Hey, you know, I have this, is that a problem? Kind of right, thing. exactly. Because there are certain things that people will think that would risk them out. Like I've had some clients with um, thyroid conditions and, and sometimes they think, oh, well, I can't do a, a home birth. Well, you can, um, you know, as long as you are getting concurrent care with an endocrinologist and the thyroid is being um, monitored, which we can do as well. Um, that is mm-hmm. something I've been able to do safely at home. Um, you know, there certainly are situations where... Um, 
you know, there's been something going on, but, you know, we're still able to do a home birth. So, yeah, I do encourage people to speak to a community with midwife and see if, if a home birth would be an option for them or, or if they're in a higher risk category um, that maybe wouldn't be recommended. But I really like to look at things on a case-by-case basis. Um, right. And that kind of helps me to, you know, help guide my clients in making decisions that that feel the most comfortable for them and, and where they can get the kind of support that they want. Yeah, no, I think that's that's awesome and important because like you said, some people might think that something they have is going to risk them out and they never reach out when it might not be the case. And Um, sometimes it's because of their previous birth experiences. Like, um, you know, I've had clients that um, have had uh, like preterm labor before. And so there's certain things that we need to keep an eye out on and be careful mm-hmm. about, or, or maybe they're taking certain medications, so they're seeing a, a doctor as well. But then if they're able to make it to that 37 week mark, then we can do the home birth. So, um, you know, there are situations that I recommend the concurrent care with the physician as well. Um, but sometimes we'll still get to that point where like, okay, we, we've gotten through to this point and everything's looking really good and the condition that you had last time didn't show up again. So, so we can go ahead and plan this. We're good to go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, what's that? Let me see. So what would be your advice for someone that's on the fence about a home birth, but is like entertaining the idea? What would be something you would tell them? I would say educate yourself, you know, like, find, uh, there's lots of good books. There's podcasts like this. There's, um, you know, lots of people to follow on different social media platforms to get an idea of what home birth really looks like and what options might be in your area. And then I definitely recommend people to interview a community midwife. So I offer free consultations to folks, um, which I usually, depending on how many questions are like half an hour to an hour, and um, I can do those either virtually or in my office. And, and that way they can really talk about like, this is my specific situation. Um, you know, would I, would I qualify? Am I considered low risk? Um, you know, and then a lot of times the people are asking about safety issues. And so that's often what, what we're talking about. Um, but yeah, I think if, if you're on the fence, it, it's worth asking right? It's, it's worth just looking into. And if you decide, you know what, no, that's, that doesn't feel like a good option for me. Um, that's okay. But you know, an hour of time to check it out is probably not too terrible to just see. And then if it it does look like a good option, it may feel like a really good decision for you. Yeah. That's what I always tell people because I'm like, not everyone's going to think about a home birth. Like not mm-hmm. everyone is going to consider that even like an option. So I tell right. them if that's something that you are thinking about, just mm-hmm. go talk to someone. I'm like, yeah. it is literally going to not, you don't have to sign. It's not signing a contract to have right. to have a home birth. You're not committing to something. You're just like, Hey, like I'm going to go, I have like this yeah. itch. I'm going to go see what it's about. And you can always say at the end, Oh no, like that's definitely not right. my way. Or yes, that's definitely my path. You know what right. I mean? Exactly. Always worth investigating, especially with mm-hmm. such a big time in your life and such a experience that will literally transform and yeah. always be in your mind. It's worth investigating. Yeah, <laughs> and what I always say about doctors or any provider, you're not married to them. You're you're literally exactly. not marrying them. So if you do get a good vibe or you don't, like that's it. You just 
I wouldn't even say you wasted an hour because you gained something from it, whether right. that was the choice you wanted to make or not. You gain some mm-hmm. knowledge that you can, you know, carry it on and pass it on to someone. Like maybe my cousin, she's the kind of person like, nope, first contraction, I want an epidural, I want to lay on my bed. Mm-hmm. I want to wait till that baby's born on their own. That's her choice, right? So she's on her right. third baby and she's like, that's literally what I'm going to do and that's okay with me. Right. right. So, you know, and that's fine. But at least she knows that there are other options. If somebody asks mm-hmm. her, like, oh, this is my option. I'm going to get a pedora as soon as I get the first contraction. Right. And that's it. <laughs> but there's this other option. You can pass the knowledge to someone else. Right. And right. if you don't get a good vibe, because I'm all about, like, am I connecting with someone? Right. Right. And if it doesn't work, you know, then it, that's it. You, you. Come on, the people that are on the, like on the Tinder apps and the dating apps, you wasted more time on dates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can wait. You can invest an hour into getting more knowledge. Um, it was good for you, and if it's not, that's fine. You don't have to see them again. Right. And, and you move right. on, and you learn something else. Well, and I think a lot of times we think like with um, with doctors, like you you have to stay with that doctor, or you have to listen to everything that they say, but like. Um, I think people forget, like, we're, we're the consumer, right? Like, you, mm. you get to choose the provider that you're working with. And if that's not working, like, you can find another doctor that you want to work with, or, or you can reach out and find a midwife, like, um, you, you get to choose, like, you're, you should be in charge of your body and your care. Like that. Yeah, I think sometimes I hear I hear a lot like, oh, my, my doctor wouldn't let me do this or, and it makes me crazy. It's like, well, uh, no. like you have ownership of your body. And, um, unfortunately sometimes the medical culture doesn't honor that as much as I wish it would. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think, yeah, you can change providers. Like that's okay. You can do that. It's <laughs> like, completely fine. They probably will not remember you. <laughs> like, let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, you know, there's so many. Like, especially yes. like in an OB's office, there's so many that like right. you're not gonna. And it's not like an offensive thing. It's just like there's so many. Like, I don't even remember a lot of names and stuff. The people that I right. see, and I don't see them in that capacity. So you know right. what I mean. So then so, I tell no. people like, if you're considering home birth, like, please feel free to meet with a few different midwives or like check out Mm -hmm. the two birth centers here and like look at all your options because like we're all qualified midwives right but like find the right fit for you you know like it's kind of like finding a hairdresser you know like you got to find the stylist that like gets you and that you click with and you feel comfortable with and and it's like that in midwifery care like you want the person that you feel relaxed with you feel like is fitting your needs so you know I always recommend like if you're considering community birth, like, yeah, look, look at who's out here and and talk to them and see what the best fit is for you. And honestly, like, that's what impressed us a lot with our interview process was because it kind of drove me a little crazy because I'm like, she's not fighting for my, for my like, um, slot. Like, I don't know. She's not fighting to have me as a patient. She was like, so like, you know what? Like I'm here. But mm-hmm. there's so there's other ones if like we're not the right fit. And I was just kind of like, like I drove me a little crazy because I was like, it's like she doesn't need us like need us there. <laughs> like she's OK with whatever we decide. Like I felt kind of like mind blown because she was very yeah. like I have, you know, I have other midwives that I could recommend to you. Like you could totally yeah. go see them. And I was just like and even my husband was like she was very relaxed, like 
she could <laughs> like it almost felt like she could care less if we go with her or not but I know it was just because she, you know it's that that concept of like find the best fit and it's yeah. okay if it's not me like that's yeah. cool you know find what works for you and I've adopted that into my doula work so I also mm-hmm. like I'll tell people interview more people like yeah, figure out who is the one that you click with the most. Cause a lot of times it's like, like Carla said, it's like a vibe, like you guys mm-hmm. vibed in that moment and you, you know, you really like them and maybe you didn't like the other one that you interviewed and it's totally just based on like a feeling. It's yep. a lot of times it's not even anything like you could write down. It's just a right. feeling that you got. So yeah. I thought, yeah, that drove me a little crazy. I was like, <laughs> she like could care less if I go with her. Right. But also it's the reason we hired her because she was so like, whatever, like you guys can or can't. It's up to you. Yeah. Well, and you know, we all know each other. So like yeah. if I refer you to another midwife, I'm like, I know you're going to be in good hands one way or another. Yeah. So like, and for me, like, it's easier for me too when I'm working with a client that like they feel connected and that they wants feel to work with you. Like it, yeah. it works better when we're like on the same page and things are feeling good. Like, you know so no yeah definitely that was just weird because I'm like you never feel like this because you know it's like at the mall where or wherever you're shopping they're like constantly like can I help you do you need this are you sure do you want that and um, and this one was just kind of like okay well you can call me later if if you want to proceed and I'm like what what (laughs) you're not gonna beg me (laughs) I will not be begging ma'am okay (laughs) yep and then I don't know, Annie, if you happen to have like stats maybe from the last year sure. on hand, like in terms of transfer rates for mm-hmm. you, um, C-section rates, or I, I don't know what you keep tabs on. That would yeah. be cool to share. Um, I keep tabs on a bunch of things. Let me let me pull up super quick. My um, I do like do stats every year. Um, and so I have kind of a few of my stats. I'm just pulling it up really Did it really here. blow up like your business with the yes. pandemic? Yes. I think Were you a, getting lot a lot of people, calls? yeah, a lot of calls, especially in the beginning, there was a lot of like panicky calls of like, uh, like just people like, I don't want to be in the hospital, which I understand. But then I feel like sometimes they weren't super prepared to be out of the hospital either. So some people mm. did follow through, but, um, you know, a lot of people didn't, but that's okay. I mean, I think just more people knowing that it's an option is a good thing. And, um, yeah, definitely. You know, and I did have a few people transfer late into care and have really lovely home births that maybe wouldn't have had one, you know, without Otherwise. the pandemic happening. Um, but I think, yeah, even more than, um, anything, it's just opened people's eyes to having more. And I definitely have been busier since the pandemic started that, than I was before. So wow. it's been great for me. Amazing. But yeah. It's also hard sometimes because sometimes I've been getting so full that I have to turn people away, which really breaks my heart. So that's oh, yes. really not my favorite thing. I'm like, so. Annie, the moment that I know that I am pregnant, <laughs> Give me a call. I, I was like, you and I will be booking you like, back the moment I yes. know. Earlier I just said the positive right now. Yeah. Earlier we don't call her husband. We don't call yeah. her husband. Like, Annie. I've had a couple of clients call me like, okay, do you have openings for this month? Yes, I do. And they're, they're like previous clients of mine. One called me. We have the same birthday. 
So she Aww. called me on our birthday and she was like, guess what? And I was like, oh, yay. And then I asked her like, how's your partner feel? She's like, oh, I called you first. I was like, oh my well, God, maybe you should call him. <laughs> like, You're like, I'm honored, but please let the father know. Yeah, will you please let him know and then let, let, let's chat. But it was really cute. Um, oh man, that was funny. But okay, I'm looking at my stats. I have noticed, just disclaimer with COVID, we have seen some things come up that are less likely to see. So my transfer rate's a little higher this last year, so about 16%, um, which, you know, if you look at the World Health Organization, about 15% is what we expect of um, people who should be giving birth in the hospital. So it is matching matching pretty well with that. Mm. About, I'd say 1% to 2% of those were... 1% 1% was emergent where we needed to call an ambulance. So pretty rare. Okay. Um, but mm. of that, let's see, 5% were in prenatal care. So like before labor. So something came up prenatally that we said, you know what, this this needs um, obstetric care. Um, 7% were during labor. And then 4% were after the birth of the baby. So that was either for the client or for the baby. Um, okay. I worked with 42 families last year. Um wow. 43% had water births. Um, we had four planned people attempting VBACs and three people were able to have a VBAC last year. Um, and my C-section rate, like overall in my practice is about five, it's 5.6% over the last five years. 5.6%. So, wow. Yeah. That's, that's not awesome. just last year though. That's the last five years. I didn't wow. look at last year specifically. So yeah, so those are that's, that's some of amazing. My stats. That's amazing. Yeah. And I, I'm glad that you clarified that some of the transfers happened prior to even like the labor, right? Yeah. Because it's like something happened that we had to go to obstetric care or whatever, but yeah. or the CNMs. And Annie, where can people find you? Where yeah, what's your business name? Sure. Um, and all of that. So my business name is Attuned Midwifery Services with an A. Um and I do have a website. It's www.attunedmidwifery. So it's A-T-T-U-N-E-D, midwifery, M-I-D-W-I-F-E-R-Y.com. Um, and that's a great place to reach me. There's like a contact us little form that people can fill out and, and send me a contact. It comes to my email and then I have their email and um, kind of what's going on so that I can reach out to them. Um, I do have a Facebook page and it's at midwife Annie Coombs. Um, I am sort of on Instagram. I'm still like getting there with building up, right. using it more often. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm on social media for sure. I do have like a, a you know, a, a, I have that page, but then I also like have my Facebook profile that's a business profile as well. So I can interact with people on that platform. So, and then I have my office in central El Paso. Um, and, you know, my email and stuff is also listed on my website. So there's cool. lots of different ways to contact me, but the best way is, is through the website. Awesome. Yes. And so we're, we're very glad that you um, came on to speak with us and that you are an option for women that, you know, are looking to give birth soon and, yeah, or, you know, need to speak to you about maybe possibly getting pregnant soon and wanting yeah. that option. And yeah, you guys reach out to her and, you know, even if you're on the fence, 
reach out and talk yeah. to her and see it's what, worth talking what comes about. of it. I also yeah. do like preconception counseling, counseling, and I also do like well person care, like pap smears and things like that. So you don't yeah. have to be pregnant to reach out to me. Yeah, there you go. Yes, because you're right. I got my pap smear with my midwife. So yeah. you're right. So that's awesome. Thank you so much, Annie. We really appreciated your time. Absolutely. No problem. Thank you for having me on.